0: Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, for our program today, you said you were going to change things up a bit and ask our
1: audience a couple of questions. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, Scott. We generally address questions from listeners, but today I'll ask a question. It's a question relevant to any time of year, but relates to what we think about more often at Christmas time: the virgin birth of Christ. And my question is. Is it important that Jesus was truly born of a virgin instead of the way every human being is normally conceived and born? And since we can't get any responses from those listening, Scott, I'm gonna ask you, what do you think? In a word, yes, it's important that Jesus was born of a virgin. Okay, that would be my answer as well. But then my other question is why? Why is the fact of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ important? Well, my immediate response would simply be because that's what Scripture says. Mm -hmm. So the integrity of the Bible is at stake. Excellent answer. I couldn't have said it better myself. And in order to confirm that Scripture does indeed say that Jesus was born of a virgin, let's read some passages that reveal this important truth. We'll find them somewhat veiled in the Old Testament and clearly stated in the New Testament. Which way should we read them, Scott? Well, I like to start at the beginning. Yes, so do I. And your description, start at the beginning, is precisely what we will do. Because the first allusion to the virgin birth of the Savior is in Genesis chapter 3. At this point, the Creator has already told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. No indication of a virgin birth there. (laughs) No, but even before they start fulfilling their mission, and this isn't funny, they rebel against their Creator, doing the one thing God told them not to do. And so the Lord comes to discipline them, as any good parent would do. But he first curses Satan, who took the form of a serpent, And in what he says to the serpent, we read an unusual way of describing childbirth compared to the norm in the Old Testament. In Genesis 3.15, the Lord is speaking to Satan, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, that prophecy is loaded with prophetic meaning and significance, but all I want to focus on is the Lord's reference to her seed. He's referring to Eve's offspring. That's a very curious way to describe this seed that will bruise Satan's head, which indicates a fatal blow, by the way. The normal way of referring to offspring in the biblical historical narrative is by listing ancestral lineage through the father, or more accurately stated, through the males.
0: You mean how the genealogies list a father who begat such and such a son, who then became the father of another son, and so forth.
1: Yes, but this norm of identifying the offspring or seed as being from the father holds even when it's just a narrative about the lives of a married couple when having a child. For example, let's read what the Lord says to Abraham after he had been willing to obey the Lord, even to the point of putting his son Isaac to death. Start at Genesis 22:16. Scott. By
0: myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens, and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of
1: their enemies. Verse 18, And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So notice the Lord refers to the descendants of Sarah and Abraham through Isaac as Abraham's seed, even though for Sarah to conceive, the Lord apparently performed a miracle. So that's the first example. Now I want to look at another example later in history. This is the oracle of Balaam, when King Balak wanted him to curse Israel, but instead the Spirit of God forced him to say this. Read Numbers 22.5, Scott. How fair are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel. Verse 7. Water shall flow from his buckets, and his seed, he's referring to Jacob there, shall be by many waters. Now let's look at another one. It's in Psalm 89, verses 3 and 4. Ethan here is quoting God's promise to David. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your seed forever and will build up your throne to all generations. So we see in each case, and the Old Testament is consistent. Seed, which means offspring, is attributed to the father. So getting back then to Genesis 3, where is Adam in the prophecy of the seed who will bruise the serpent's head? It seems this earliest of prophecies in the Bible is an allusion to a virgin birth through which the seed of the woman and not a man will come into the world. Then, jumping forward to a reference in the New Testament, we might ask, is Paul specifically referring to that prophecy, as well as being accurate, when in Galatians he describes the birth of Christ this way? Go ahead, Scott, read Galatians four.
0: 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son,
1: born of a woman, born under the law. Now, having made that suggestion, it's important to be thorough and let all Scripture speak for itself. So I also must point out what one of Job's argumentative friends, Eliphaz, says in Job 15, 14, quote, what is man that he should be pure, or he who is born of a woman that he should be righteous, unquote. So there's that phrase, but it's the only one I've ever found aside from the one we're discussing in Genesis 3 that expresses the idea of a person being born of a woman, But this reference in Job certainly has no allusion to a virgin birth.
0: That verse just seems like a poetical way of saying we're all born
1: sinners. I think that's the best way to interpret it, too. But that truth, that we're all born sinners, brings us to the crucial connection between the virgin birth and Jesus' sin nature, or better said, the lack thereof. Could it be that the reason Jesus was born of a virgin was so he would not inherit a sinful nature? so he could be pure and righteous. If that is true, that's an extremely important reason for Jesus to be born of a virgin. But we'll come back to that after we look at one more reference in the Old Testament that points to a virgin birth of the Savior. The one so often read at Christmas is in Isaiah 7, verse 14. In this passage, Isaiah tells the wicked king Ahaz to ask for a sign that will confirm what Isaiah said to him was the word of the Lord. But Ahaz refuses to ask for a sign. So Isaiah says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Now, that sounds pretty clear as a reference to a virgin birth. Well, yes,
0: but one moment, Dr. Scripture. I've heard that those who are critical of biblical prophecy point out that the word translated virgin in Isaiah 7.14 is the word for young woman and does not have to mean a virgin. How do we respond to that?
1: Well, good point, Scott. First, The idea of a young girl not being a virgin was pretty unthinkable in that context. But secondly, the point of the young woman giving birth was that it was a sign. There is nothing miraculous or special. (laughs) There's no sign value to a young woman giving birth as a result of normal conception between a male and female producing a baby. But when a person wants to deny the clear meaning of Scripture, they will come up with some sort of objection, no matter what. Case in point, believers' explanations of the meaning of the creation account in order to accept evolution. But the clear intent of the sign mentioned in Isaiah 7.14, especially when looking back on it from the perspective of the New Testament, is that a virgin would bear a child. So now let's look at the clear statements in the New Testament. When Gabriel comes to Mary, this is their exchange. Scott read Luke 1.30 and 31. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for
0: you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb
1: and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Now this is Mary's response, verses 34 and 35. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Luke's account of the conception of Jesus Christ couldn't be any clearer. It's not just that the word virgin is used. Given the exchange between Mary and Gabriel, there can be no confusion between the idea of her being a virgin versus her simply being a young woman she was a virgin. Jesus did not have a human father, which brings us back to the idea we touched on earlier. Was there an important reason for his virgin birth? I'm sure we could come up with many, but I want to consider two. First, Mary was a sinner who needed to be redeemed like every other human being, yet her sin nature was not passed on to Jesus. A good explanation for this, which is supported in Romans chapter 5, is that the sin nature is passed on to the offspring at conception through the man. The flesh is not inherently sinful in and of itself. It's the fallen, sinful, dead human spirit that corrupts the human being and separates us from God. The conclusion then is the spirit, that fallen human spirit, is inherited from the Father. We don't know how this occurs, but apparently God created mankind to procreate this way. So although they are intimately joined at conception and during life, the spirit is a distinct entity, different than the physical entity of our body. And that observation is supported by the account in Genesis chapter 2. Here's the description of God creating Adam in Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. We see God formed the physical part from the elements already created. And at this point, Adam's body was no different in essence than any other animal. It was purely material. But then the Lord endowed the body with the breath of life, a spirit, and the creature became a human being, having all the attributes of personality, which God describes as bearing his image. In fact, the fundamental attribute defining what it takes to be a person is to have a spirit. God is three persons, angels are persons, humans are persons. What do they all have in common? They all possess a spirit. So you're
0: saying the spirit, and thus the sin nature, is passed to the offspring through the man. But you're not saying the woman does not have a spirit, are you? No. A
1: woman absolutely has a spirit. Hers simply isn't passed on to the new human life. And Scott, the workings of these things are totally a mystery. But based on the revelation of Scripture, the results of these conclusions produce a coherent picture of the nature of man and indicate not just the importance but the necessity of the virgin birth. Remember, the person of God the Son already existed. He had a spirit. But for the incarnation to occur, his spirit, his person, if you will, had to be joined with the human body. And that's what Gabriel was describing to Mary. God was going to perform a miracle in her womb, the miracle of the virgin conception. She supplied the material part. God endowed that quote-unquote body with the spirit of God the Son. And Gabriel explained it this way. For that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. So for Jesus, the preexistent person of
0: God the Son, to enter his creation in bodily form, it had to be a conception without a human father. What could be more important than that? Without the virgin birth, humanity would have no substitutionary sacrifice, no Savior,
1: no Messiah. That's right. And as so often is the case, these fundamental truths of the Christian faith are grounded in the creation account of Genesis. Do you see how similar the creation of Adam, that is, man, is to the incarnation of the Son of God? Both involve the joining of a body with a spirit. One, that is, Adam's, was created. The second, that is, Jesus's, was not created, but as the eternal word, God the Son, took on flesh. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.